The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Morning, church. How are we? Man, that was great, wasn't it? Just to be able to worship our king together. I almost feel like we could just call it uh, done right now. <laughs> Bring the band back up. Let's sing some more. But um, we got some work to do. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Revelation chapter 2. That's right, Revelation. Um, if you're new around here, my name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor, and I have the privilege of opening the word of God with you this morning. Really thankful that you are with us. Uh, if you want to be known, there is a connect card in the uh, pew uh, in front of you. And uh, at any point during the gathering, you just fill that out. Let us know that you're here. There are a couple of black giving boxes in the back that you can drop those in. The back side of that card is for prayer requests. And so if there's a way that we can pray for our church family, uh, we would love to do that. And you can fill that out and drop it in those boxes as well. Uh, a couple quick commercials for you before we get into the word this morning. First of all, most of you know uh, the first six weeks of the year were kind of a, our inaugural membership class, if you will, for Steadfast Church. As Bent Creek and Missy O'Day came together, uh, we did a six-week teaching series called Groundwork. And we're using that series as our membership class. And so uh, the next step for any of you who want to become members officially of Steadfast uh, is to read the um, membership packet that we had handed out. It's still on the website on the front page if you want a copy of that. And then the, fill out this membership application. It's just a front and back. Uh, already we've had dozens of these turned in, so we're thankful for that. We be, we'll be receiving these through uh, Palm Sunday, I believe. That's April the 2nd. And so um, even though that sounds like a long time, get them in as quickly as you can. No pressure. Uh, but if you're wanting to be a member, this is the next step is to turn this in. If you have questions based on the membership application or anything that you heard in uh, the teaching series, myself and some of our elders will be available after the gathering for the next few Sundays. Uh, we can probably just make our way to the uh, adult Sunday school classroom and, and we'll be happy to answer uh, as best we can any questions that you have. Secondly, and I hate to do this, but I have to, um, at our family meeting a couple weeks ago, uh, I mentioned that we are beginning to receive funds for phase two of renovations, okay? Um, we spent around $330,000 to get in here. Most of that or half of that went to a new roof on this building. So stuff you're never gonna see, but you're thankful that we did, amen? So um, if you don't know this, white plastic is not the decor we're going for back there. Uh, that's temporary. Uh, we're going to make those into offices because we currently are, are using some other offices until we get moved here. So um, that's one of the things that we're raising money for. We estimate the next phase of the project is going to be about $250,000. we have got about hundred to put towards that, so we need to raise $150,000 or so. So if you have that on you, uh, you can make it out to Sedfast. Um, <laughs> But there is a, a sheet of paper here that um, is on the table. So by the staircase, there's a table. You can turn in membership applications. Uh, you can also grab membership applications if you don't have one. Uh, but you can also grab this little one sheet. And this describes all the stuff that we have planned in renovations, including offices, a toddler restroom, which is highly needed right now, uh, a kitchenette, a new HVAC unit for this space, because once it gets uh, warm, it's going to get warm. You understand what I'm saying? 
um, some signage, some renovations to the frame building, and uh, all that's explained here. And so uh, I would encourage you to grab one of those just to see the breakdown of uh, what we're planning to spend, and we'll be receiving funds. We've already had uh, many thousands come in. We're thankful for that, but I just wanted to put that before you and, and just be transparent, as transparent as we can about the phases that are going on here, okay? Sound good? Okay, commercial break over. Revelation chapter 2. Um, we've, we spent the first six weeks, as I mentioned, going through this uh, series called Groundwork. And, and essentially what we did in that series was to learn from Scripture the kind of church we believe that the Lord is calling us to become. Now we're taking seven weeks as we lead up to Easter, and we are learning from Scripture um, and from both the witness of the ancient church and Jesus' warnings to those churches. Now, the book of Revelation can be daunting. But what you need to know about Revelation is that at, at its essence, at its core, what Revelation is ultimately about is the worship of Jesus Christ. Early in the book, we find letters, seven letters to be exact, that were written by Jesus through the pen of John uh, to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. Uh, Ryan, I forgot to ask, but were you able to get that uh, map? No? Okay, no, no worries. Next week, we'll have a map up for you uh, that'll show you the location of these churches. They're basically on a, on a, on a trade route, okay? And so Jesus says, hey, I got, I got words to say to seven churches and write letters to these seven churches. Now, what you need to know is that <clears throat> the seven churches did not just get a letter from Jesus. They got all seven letters, because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, he says, put these seven letters in a book and send it to the churches, plural. Which means that these letters were not just for those specific churches, but they were for all the churches, and they're for us. So we can learn from the words of Jesus to these churches as he commends them for things they've done well. As he critiques them for things that they haven't done well. As he corrects them and brings change to them. Last week, Pastor Mark helped us look at the church at Ephesus, the, the first letter. And what we saw with the church of Ephesus was they had solid doctrine. Uh, they had endured really well. Oh, there you go. Here's the map. Look at that. Uh, ask and you shall receive. So just to show you, okay, Ephesus is the first letter. Then we'll go to Smyrna, then Pergamum, then Theatira, then Sardis, then Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. This was a trade route. And so the letters, uh, again, the book is getting delivered, but letters to all seven churches are getting delivered along uh, with it, okay? And so this is all in modern-day Turkey, and, um, and that's the route we're going to take is through the, through the book there. So the church at Ephesus had solid doctrine. They had endured well, but Jesus' correction to them was, you've lost the love that you had at first. And so he called them to repentance, to reprioritizing Jesus uh, in their lives individually and corporately as a church. Today, we're gonna to look at the church at Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is, is one of only two churches out of the seven who don't actually get a rebuke from Jesus. They are a faithful church. He has nothing to correct them for. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus writing a letter to our church and having nothing to correct us for. Wouldn't that be something? And yet, they are faithful but they are enduring hardship and persecution, which should tell us that the stuff we go through in life is not directly correlated to how faithful we are to Jesus. And that's good news for all of us. 
But here's the thing. If we love Christ first, as he challenged the church in Ephesus to do, it will cost us. It will cost us. Because there is, there is a cost to everything that we love. And we're going to see that theme throughout the rest of uh, this letter. There's a cost to everything we love, but there's also a great reward, especially for those who follow Jesus. So let me start by reading. It's only a handful of verses here. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and uh, going down to verse 11. And I'll pray for us and we'll dive in here with the time that we have left. You guys feeling good? You ready to study the word? All right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come thankful uh, to be gathered together as your people, thankful for this, this time of corporate worship as we uh, read scriptures and prayed prayers and sang songs to you and exalted the name of Jesus and how that filled us with joy to do so. And now as we come to your word, we come humble, we come open to receive what you have to say to us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, strengthen me, empower me, that I might be able to preach this word and rightly divide it, that it may edify your people, that it would strengthen them, that it would encourage them, that even today there might be some who move from death into life or darkness into light under the preaching of your word. So God, would you do what only you can do in our hearts this morning for your glory alone and for our good. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right. So, um, First thing I want to do here, I'm just going to point out uh, the three points, the three sort of uh, headings that I want to give you, and then we'll look at each one in series. So uh, what I want to point out to you this morning through this text is, number one, the compassion of Jesus. Number two, the comfort of Jesus. And then number three, the crown of Jesus. Okay? The comfort, sorry, the, the, uh, the compassion, the comfort, and then the crown of Jesus. So let's look again at Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, eight and nine, he says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. All right, let's stop there for a second. <laughs> I want to give you a little context. Smyrna um, is today a town called Izmir in Turkey. And it's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Uh, it was founded in 1000 BC or somewhere thereabouts. Okay, it's a beautiful port city. And um, it rivaled Ephesus. It's only about 35 miles to the north of Ephesus. And so it rivaled Ephesus as the first city in Asia Minor. They even had on their coinage, it would say, first in size and in beauty. 
Now, the original Smyrna was destroyed in about 600 BC uh, in war. And Rome, under Alexander the Great, decided to rebuild the city of Smyrna because it was, it was known at one time as the crown of Asia Minor. There was an amphitheater that was just really beautiful on the coast. So he decided, Alexander the Great, let's rebuild the city of Smyrna. And so in the 300s-ish, it was rebuilt. And it was even better than it had been before. And it was known, they had a little phrase, they called it the city that had died and come back to life. Because of Rome's influence, the, the, the Smyrnians were fiercely loyal to Rome. They, uh, they were nationalistic. They, um, they worshiped in the imperial cult or the, the national religion. They had a phrase, uh, Rome first in all things. And so when we see here Jesus' words, he's speaking to, uh, Mark mentioned last week, the word angel could be messenger or the pastor or angel. I'm inclined to think it may actually be a literal angel of the church that it, that's delivering this. And I say that because of some other things in Revelation. But he says this, the words, now listen to, Jesus is who he is, right? But how many of you know that when you really need him, he shows up for you in exactly the way you need him to? So here's what he says. To the angel of the church at Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last. Rome ain't first, I'm first. That's what Jesus is saying. The words of the first and the last. There are, you will hear a lot of words in your life. Okay, most of which you will forget. Some of which you will remember. A very few of which will actually form and shape your identity. Jesus says, I have the first word over your life and I will have the last. The words of the first and the last. And he says, who died and came to life. The Jews condemned Jesus. The Romans killed Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea buried Jesus, but the grave couldn't hold Jesus. <laughs> who died and came back to life. These are the words. This is who I am, Jesus says. Now, what is he gonna say to the church at Smyrna? To the angel of the church at Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And then in verse nine, he says, I know. I know. I love that Jesus starts each of these letters. Each of the seven letters starts with that. Jesus says, I know. To the churches that are wandering and drifting and sinning, Jesus says, I know. I see it. Nothing's taking me by surprise over here. And then to the churches that are enduring hardship and persecution and suffering, he says, I know. I see. I know. I know, he says, your tribulation. Tribulation is a word that simply means, um, it's, a, it's a medical term. It means compression or constriction from the outside, right? There is pressure from all sides coming on the church at Smyrna. And it looks like two specific things. First, he says, your poverty. So tribulation, here are the two kinds of tribulation specifically they're enduring. Number one, your poverty, though you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So they're experiencing tribulation and that tribulation looks like firstly poverty. Now Smyrna was a rich city, but there was a requirement if you were gonna participate in the economic life of the city. And that was 
there were trade guilds, which were like unions, okay? And in order to be part of a trade guild or a union, you had to publicly once a year say, Caesar is Lord. Well, that's a problem if you're a Christian, isn't it? Because <laughs> we know there's no Lord but Jesus alone. Secondly, each trade guild or each union had their own idol, and you had to give homage, homage to and burn incense to and, and also worship this idol of the trade guild. Well, Christians can't do that either, can they? And so you have to realize that the church at Smyrna, these believers were not so much being pushed out of the economic life of the city because they worshiped Jesus, but because they worshiped Jesus alone. They're excluded from public life. They're excluded from the economy. So it's going to be very hard for you to make a living and pay your bills and do all the things that you need to do in the life of the city if you can't participate in your vocation. So Jesus says, I see your poverty, but you're rich. Isn't it James 2 that says, um, Jesus has chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So he says, look, I see your poverty but you're rich. Remember who you really are. Remember the unseen realm. Remember the kingdom that you are a part of. You are rich. And then he says, I see the slander that you are experiencing of those who say they are Jews, but are not. They're a synagogue of Satan. The Jews were excluded from having to worship Caesar as Lord. They said, look, um, we've already got a God. We already have, you know, synagogues and all this. We got a book, okay? Uh, we can't do that, but here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll pay you fees. We will, um, we will make sacrifices to honor the emperor as a ruler, just not as God. And, and how, was, was that work for you? They made some backroom deals. But see, Christians were so associated with Jews at this time that the Jews in Smyrna were afraid that they were going to lose their status and their privilege and their power. So they began to speak lies about the Christians. They would say things like they're cannibals because they eat flesh and drink blood, even though they were just taking pita and wine, you know? Sorry, it wasn't Welch's, it was wine. They would say they are undermining the fabric of society because they are calling one another brother and sister. And so they're trying to divide families. They were lies. Now look, Jesus experienced the same thing, didn't he? They called him demonized. They called him a drunkard. They called him a glutton. They called him an insurrectionist and a, a blasphemer. There are some of you this morning, you're here, and man, you just barely made it. <laughs> you just barely made it through that door. And it was such a relief to hear to all who are weary and need rest. And you're facing your own kind of tribulation this morning. Some of you are facing literal poverty. Some of you are experiencing slander from a former spouse or a former coworker, or, or someone you thought was a friend who's now just saying untrue and unkind things about you. And Jesus says to you this morning, I know. I know. 
So this church, this church in Smyrna is facing pressure, pressure from the city, pressure from the culture, pressure from the government, pressure from other religions. And the same thing continues today. There's an organization called World Watch and they estimate that 360 million believers around the world in the year 2022 faced high levels of persecution. That's one in seven Christians worldwide. Christianity is the most persecuted religion on the face of the planet. In 2023, And you and I will also face pressure in this increasingly polarized age in which we live. It is going to become more difficult to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the world in which we live. It just is. I'm not trying to scare anybody and I'm not saying we gotta fight. I'm saying be faithful. to say that you worship Jesus and Jesus alone and you believe the things that he has revealed to us in this word, things about life and about humanity and about gender and about sexuality and about marriage and about money and about work and about justice and about poverty and about, right? It's gonna be increasingly hard to worship Jesus and be committed to the truths that are in this scripture in the city in which we live. And Jesus says, I know. I know. Kingdoms are colliding, friends. Kingdoms are colliding. And isn't it Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, who says, um, any who desire to live a godly life in this world will face persecution. Why? Because there's a cost to everything we love. but we will not face it alone. And so that's the next thing I got for you. I want you to look now at the comfort of Jesus. You guys with me? Okay. The comfort of Jesus. Look at uh, verse 10, what Jesus has to say to the church here. I'm so glad Matt pointed that out in our liturgy. What, what does Jesus say? Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So I want you to see here, and it's not obvious at the first, but I want you to see the comfort of Jesus. He says to this church who's facing this kinds of persecution, I know. Not only does he know, not only does he see what we are going through, but he empathizes because he himself has experienced the same kinds of pain. But notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say, hey, I know, and I'm about to take it away. That comes a little later in the book of Revelation, doesn't it? <laughs> Chapters 21 and 22. What does he say here? Do not fear. But that's not all he says. What else does he say? Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Okay, so if you're a Smyrnian and you are reading this letter and you are facing tribulation and poverty and slander, and then Jesus says to you, hey, don't fear what you're about to suffer. You're like, whoa, 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 what? I'm already suffering, Jesus. 
There's already tribulation. There's already poverty. There's already slander. And you're telling me it's about to get worse? I might get arrested and maybe even put to death now? Now, this church was likely planted um, somewhere, if you were part of Missio and you went through the book of Acts with us, you might remember Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into Ephesus, remember that? Hopefully you do. Uh, he was there about two years in Ephesus, okay? It's likely that during that time is when the church at Smyrna was planted, 35 miles to the north of Ephesus. Now, we don't know that for sure. We don't hear about Smyrna until the book of Revelation, so we really aren't sure when the church was planted. But my hunch is that that's the time frame. My other hunch is that they were likely well acquainted with the teachings of Jesus. Though they did not have the New Testament scriptures yet, they were acquainted with the teachings of Jesus. They were acquainted with Jesus' words, for instance, in... Um, uh, what is it, John? Uh, yeah, John 16. In this world, you will face tribulation, but take heart for I've overcome the world. They knew that. They knew Jesus's words. If any of you desires to be my disciple, he must take up his cross and follow me. They got that. But I have to imagine that now they're going, but this? I didn't foresee this. I didn't expect this. And you can imagine there's doubt. There's confusion, there's wrestling, there's a, a desire maybe to hit the eject button and, and get out from under this pressure, a desire to escape. And if I was a Smyrnian, I just have to be honest with you, a question that might be rolling around in my brain is, is following Jesus really worth it? Now, here's the reality, folks. Every meaningful relationship that you and I have is hard. Why? Because there is a cost to everything you love. <laughs> There's a cost to everything you love. Think about, think about your marriage. Even, even those of you with great marriages would acknowledge it's been hard. We've had some tough days. And there are times when it feels like we are enemies and we're just in conflict. Some of, think about your children. <laughs> Parenting's hard, right? <laughs> Some of you are so weary from parenting, you can't even say yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cost to everything you love. And some of you, your kids are older, they're grown, and, they're, and you're estranged from them now. And that's brutal. Friends, family members, the church family, it can be hard, right? And if you don't think it's hard, it's because you're making it hard on everybody else. <laughs> so why do we think a relationship with Jesus would be any different? See, some of us get so in our heads about the fact that following Jesus at times makes life difficult. We're surprised by that. But there's a cost to everything that you love. And there is tension baked into this thing because the kingdom of light is coming into conflict with the kingdom of darkness. It is invading the kingdom of darkness. And guess what? The darkness hates the light.
We even see that in the passage. Look at verse 10 again. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That doesn't mean he's going to like slam the door of the jail with his pitchfork. It means that what started out as social pressure and political pressure at its root is actually spiritual. Because there is a battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Now, you and I, as the church here, Steadfast Church, we could choose to pull back a little bit. We could take it easy with this Jesus stuff. We could say, look, Scripture says a lot of hard things, and there's a lot of pressure. Why don't we just talk about, like, the fun things? We don't have to tell people they're sinners. We don't have to tell people that forever is a long time and hell's really hot. We don't have to tell them that, that Jesus is a savior, but also a judge. We don't have to tell them they need to repent of sin and pursue holiness. We don't, we, we, we could take it easy. We could compromise. We could lull ourselves to sleep playing church as so many in our city have done. And we will lose the kingdom. Or we can stay the course and we can endure whatever hardship and suffering may come because Jesus is worth it. And I want you to know if you are a follower of Jesus, that suffering and testing, sorry, suffering and pain have both a function and a finish line. Okay, a function and a finish line. And we see it here in the text. Look what he says. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be what? Tested. So there's the purpose. There's the function that you may be tested. And for 10 days, that's not a literal 10 days. It's figurative. It's an allusion, not illusion. It's not a magic trick. It's an allusion to the book of Daniel. Okay? when he fasted from the king's table for 10 days and actually came out stronger. That became a model of persecution and suffering for the early church. Okay, So he says, that you may be tested and for 10 days, there's the finish line, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Now, when I say there's a function and that function is testing, some of you get a little weirded out. You mean God's gonna test me? Yeah. And, and, and there's a good reason for it. Let me just, man, I'm running short on time, but I'm gonna... Keep preaching, so, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, James chapter two, or sorry, James one, look, listen to what James one says. You've heard this before. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I promise I'm not picking these verses, they're just there. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Who wants to lack nothing? Testing is coming. Then Peter puts it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this testing and trial, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so testing produces perfection, completeness, 
lacking nothing in us and praise and honor and glory to Jesus. Who doesn't want that? I'm okay with the God who tests as long as that's the outcome. Amen? So there's a function, it's testing. And then there's a finish line, 10 days, which I already mentioned. Um, uh, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, it, it, 2 Corinthians 4 is that whole, like, uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay, right? We're afflicted, but not crushed, all that stuff. And then he says, this light and momentary affliction. And you know what he means by that? His whole life. This light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing uh, to the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed. See, it puts, it, puts our pers- it puts our trials and our struggles and our hardships and our tribulation and our poverty in perspective, doesn't it? So Jesus' words to us here are, do not fear. And as Matt mentioned, it's the most frequent command in the whole of scripture. Um, my notes tell me there's at least 366 times that Jesus says to his people, do not fear. And most of those times it's followed with the promise for I am with you. I love that because that means there's one for every day of the year, even on a leap year. (laughs) You know why? He knows. He knows. He knows we need it. He knows we need that reminder. So we all experience fear from various things in various ways. And fear is an opportunity for us either to run from God or to run to God. But here's what happens when we run to God. The Bible tells us the the perfect love of God casts out all fear. And so we run to God with all our fears and insecurities and worries and struggles and doubts. And then he envelops us in his perfect love. And that perfect love begins to permeate all the deep, dark places in our souls and push away the fear. Strengthening us, empowering us because we know that he loves us. It empowers us to live for him boldly and courageously. And then we can get to the place where Paul is in, uh, in the book of Philippians, I believe it is, where he's like, um, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, listen, what's the worst they can do to us? Kill us? We get to be with Jesus forever. Bring it on. And by the way, how's the Roman Empire doing today? <laughs> this light and momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory. That will be ours. You, you understand what I'm saying? All right. Last thing I got for you. Let's look at the last couple of verses. I want you to see the crown of Jesus. The crown of Jesus. Let me get back to Revelation. To be honest, I wasn't sure how this series was going to go. <laughs> but God has been so kind to us already in these first, these first letters to these first two churches. Um, look with me. At the end of verse 10 into verse 11. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Be faithful unto death. Now, Jesus is not just saying that to the church at Smyrna. He's saying that to all of us because the Bible knows no other kind of Christian. Ash Wednesday, which we just celebrated, was a reminder to all of us, wasn't it, that from the dust we came and to the dust we shall return. In other words, it is a reminder that the death rate right now hovers right at 100%. And scripture over and over again reminds us, um, for instance, let me just, let me just go here because it'll, it'll make more sense if I read it out loud. Um, you don't have to turn here, but let me go to Colossians chapter one. I want you to hear this. <clears throat> Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter one, I should have made a note here. Um, here we go. Okay, so in, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile all things to himself. You who are once alienated in mind, uh, alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and here we are again, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Okay, so Jesus is saying to us, endure, endure. Um, whether you die rich and happy or penniless and powerless, be faithful. And what do we gain if we make it to the end, if we endure to the end, if we stay stable and steadfast all the way to the end, what do we gain? The crown of life. In other words, life eternal, we get the kingdom. We get the kingdom. So listen, there is a day coming, brothers and sisters. Revelation 21 and 22 promise this. There is a day coming when Jesus himself will look at you in your eyes and will wipe away every single tear. There is a day coming where there will be no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no tribulation, no taxes, no poverty, no slander, no earthquakes, no wars, no betrayal, no backbiting, no abandonment, no worry, no fear. That is coming. If we remain stable and steadfast, if we hold fast to Jesus to the end. And so knowing that that day is coming, we endure whatever this life brings because we have a hope that goes beyond this world. Again, Paul says it best in, um, in Romans chapter eight. He says, um, let me just read it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. As I said earlier, it will likely become increasingly difficult to live in this city as a follower of Jesus 
But here's, here's the spin I want to put on it. It's not even a spin, it's reality. What an honor that the Lord has chosen to place us in this time, in this city, at this, you know, at this moment, for such a time as this. What an honor. Because your life matters. Because the city of Asheville matters. Because Western North Carolina matters. Because Jesus matters. And the thousands upon thousands of people in this city who are waking up this morning apart from Jesus, they matter to him. And so the work will be slow and it'll be hard. And we will likely face tribulation. Some of us might lose our job or our reputation. Um, there might be articles published about this church saying all kinds of untrue and unkind things. So what? <laughs> Bring it on. Because I know, I've read my Bible and I know the gates of hell cannot stand against the kingdom of God. We cannot live for Jesus and lose. Because to come against us is to come against Jesus himself. <laughs> and guess what? His record is perfect. It currently stands at undefeated. Even his death was a victory. You know that, right? Augustine said, the cross of Christ is the devil's mousetrap. The devil thought when he saw Christ on the cross, I got him, I, it's over, I won. And he nibbled at that cheese and boom. Victory is the Lord's. Isn't that good news? Jesus knows because he faced tribulation. He preached the gospel in his own hometown and they wanted to kill him. <laughs> Jesus said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He experienced poverty. As I mentioned earlier, he was slandered. They said all kinds of lies about him. He's a blasphemer. He's, he's an insurrectionist. And Jesus was faithful unto death. You realize, don't you, that Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that you and I could receive the crown of life. He left the glory of heaven and condescended to the earth. He left the riches of the kingdom of God and experienced poverty. He, he left the worship of the angels and experienced suffering and slander on this earth. He gave his very life and experienced death in our place so that we could be forever with him. And so when you and I are with him in glory, and I do hope I see you there, when we are with him in glory, no matter what we have endured here, for his sake. We will never look back on our lives and say, I just don't know if it's worth it. 
Why would Jesus do this for us? Why, why would Jesus endure all of this for us? Because there's a cost to everything that you love. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus loved us so much that while we were sinners, he died for us. How is he not worthy of everything? All right, so I've gone over time, but no one cares. So let me, um, let me wrap up with a few questions and then we'll move into our time of response. So there'll be a few questions on the screen here. You can write them down as they come or you can take a picture of the screen when they're all up. Um, but these are for you to take with you and to reflect on. First is this, uh, what kind of tribulation am I currently experiencing? Now, some of you might not be experiencing any kind of tribulation and praise God for that. Um, pray Pray for the persecuted church. Go on World Watch and look at the top 10. Uh, Afghanistan, North Korea, Syria are three. You can just spend the Lenten season praying for believers around the world who are worshiping on the Lord's day in fear of their lives. But some of you are experiencing poverty. You're experiencing slander. You're experiencing hardship. Okay, my follow-up question to this one is, how can the church family come alongside you? What, what am I, what tribulation am I currently experiencing and how can my church family come alongside me? Because you are not alone. You have Jesus with you, but you also have a family to walk with you through whatever adversity you face. Next question is this, where do I go with my fears? Am I prone to run away from the Lord? when I'm afraid or do I run to him? Do, do I run to myself and try to fix all my problems myself and have a plan for every little scenario and situation? Or do I come before him with all of the things that keep me up at night and say, help? Where do I go with my fears? Perfect love of God casts out all fear. Problem is, every day brings a new fear, so we gotta keep coming back to it. <laughs> and then finally, how does the promise of a day without suffering, the very presence of Jesus himself, how does that strengthen me to endure whatever this life brings for his sake? How does the promise of a day without suffering strengthen me to endure for Jesus' sake? Okay. I'm gonna leave these questions up on the screen for you to contemplate. Um, we're gonna move into our time of response. And uh, here at Steadfast Church, we participate in communion every week. It's not required, uh, but it is available to you if you want to participate. And here's how that's gonna go. Uh, there will be uh, a couple at each one of these four aisles. So from the back and very back against the plastic wrap, that's who I'm talking to. Uh, from the back to the front, we will release one row at a time. You can come down to these tables uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to the tables. If you're not, I just ask you to kindly stay in your seat. This is not for you. But here's what we're doing. As we come down, you're taking the bread and you're dipping it into the wine or the juice, whatever your conscience allows. And we are remembering that there is a feast. Jesus has promised us a feast in his very presence. And so this meal, this sacred meal is in some ways a foretaste of the feast to come. It gives us hope to endure 
this light and momentary affliction because we know there's a day coming, okay? And so you come down in repentance, you come down in faith, um, take the, the bread and the cup, you make your way back up the side aisles here. There are black boxes in the back if you wanna give a, an offering uh, to the Lord through the church, uh, give your connect card, your um, prayer requests, that kind of thing. And then the band's gonna come up and lead us in a couple songs and we'll make our way out of here. Um, let me pray and then I'll have the uh, communion servers come on down, okay? Father, I thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for the opportunity to open the word of God this morning. I pray that it has been an encouragement to my brothers and sisters, many of whom I know are facing very difficult days. And, and we know that and you know that. And you are with them. And so I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would support us, that you would make us stable and steadfast people as we endure whatever this life throws at us. As we stand firm in the name of Jesus in this ever polarizing and darkening world, as we face hard things, let our light continue to shine brightly in this dark world for your glory and for the good of those who don't know you yet. And let us hold fast to that hope, that promise that we will be with you one day and, and there will be no pain and suffering and death anymore. And we will be with you forever. So Lord, as we respond now through communion, through giving, through singing, be honored and glorified. Fill us with joy in your presence. We pray all this in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.